Welcome to episode 42 of Tall Poppy, the final episode for 2017, and the answer to everything, you know, 42. I'm your host, leadership advocate Tathra Street. Thanks for joining us. If you're interested in communications, the impact it can have, and what really makes humans happy, what inspires us to do what we don't think is possible, getting past those barriers, and just going for it, you will love my conversation with Kylie Fitzpatrick. She has created the Performance Code, Team Women Australia, and is a self-made woman. She is a super switched on, high-powered, yet down-to-earth human being who was a high-achieving corporate exec who saw an opportunity to be more true to herself, making an exit, giving permission to others to do the same or similar. Kylie Fitzpatrick is a communications expert, modern storyteller, proud of her Aboriginal heritage, and someone who gives a shit but without being motivated by what you think of her. We talk about the possibility of a healthy balance between caring and not caring, the word performance, a lot about the value of context, and she gets really honest about what it was like to be a senior executive and a mother. Despite some technical issues, we got there in the end, so listen up. I'd like to welcome Kylie Fitzpatrick to Tall Poppy. Take two, how are you going today? Really good, thank you for having me. (laughs) Excellent. So let's start with where in the world are you? I am in Sydney, Australia, and I'm approximately probably 10 minutes travel right out of the central business district. So literally right in the heart. Nice. And Sydney is the city that I was born in. Nice. Yeah. So I um, was born there, spent 25 years in Canada, been back in Australia for 13 years and uh, the vast majority of that time been in uh, been in Melbourne. Mm. So let's um, hear a little bit about you and your work and what's important to you about that. And I'm going to ask you a few questions along the way as well. Sure. Yeah. I suppose there's two aspects actually to the work that I do primarily. Um, the first one is ultimately what most people understand is performance. Um, so my intention is to work with people to be able to impact their effectiveness uh, in in whatever it is that they're committed to. Uh, Ultimately, a lot of it comes down to people wanting to impact performance in their business. Um, But what I end up discovering is in the process of working with people on identifying what there is to impact, you know, the performance in their business, it eventually, well, I should say, it actually comes down to being able to work with people to have people experience being effective to impact their performance. So I end up spending most of my time working with individuals uh, in that area. So, and this is something that we talked a little bit about um, briefly the other day. So the word performance is, mm. means different things to different people. Mm. I sometimes cringe when I hear the word performance because it seems to be very focused on the individual and less about uh, an awareness of the context in which the individual is meant to be performing. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, look, I think that's one of those things. I mean, uh, I'm, a, I'm a storyteller as well, by the way, right? So for me as a storyteller, uh, my area of expertise is a lot around language and words that are used. And right. it doesn't, you know, I, I, I did question even when I, you know, started this work about whether performance was the right word to use because, you know, you're right, there, many people have different perspectives about it. Um, and it, it, for me, I have a very big belief that context is decisive. Yes, so, in fact, the, the, the very first piece of the work that I always do with people is try to understand the context in which they're operating. Mm. Um, I mean, I, you know, my, my 
qualifications are in change management. So I started out in research, moved into strategic planning, ended up being a marketing director. So I worked predominantly around the whole end-to-end process in marketing communications. Mm-hmm. Um, in my later career, though, I uh, went back to university and started doing a, um, a master's in change management. And mm-hmm. what I discovered certainly in that is it's the same thing. Ultimately, it's the same kind of process, you know, where you try to understand what's really important for people mm-hmm. and then you map out a plan in order for people to produce the results that they want. But the first critical piece is being very clear about the context. You know, mm-hmm. what is it that – how does the world occur for people? What's in the background? What are their concerns? And without that, you really – it doesn't – you know, it doesn't matter how far you get down the pathway of actually working with people to produce a result. If you don't actually get that addressed, then it does nothing to actually give them the results that they want. Yeah. Absolutely. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and and I think part of where it comes from for me is seeing people who are have a desire to improve their performance, yet they're in, uh, whether it's a workplace culture or a business that has values that it doesn't espouse in the same way that it's website does or you know they're just they're they're basically trying to push a snowball uphill and it's it's really disheartening to to watch and to sort of and yeah so uh, yeah. Oh, look, you- i'm glad you mentioned that because in fact that was one of the very reasons why i you know i decided to start my own thing because mm-hmm. my frustration as an executive in our and certainly when we were doing all of our planning was that mostly the conversation was just about strategy you know and the performance and the results as a result of creating a strategy mm-hmm. but what people weren't addressing was the the environment and the way that people were operating Um, and so it never really did that now one of the things that I learned for myself was that it doesn't matter how effective I may experience myself in my job and what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis Mm -hmm. if I'm in an environment that does not align with what I'm committed to Mm -hmm. then it's 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 not going to make any difference in fact company I've created is called the performance code Mm -hmm. so it's actually a code in which performance exists and that involves uh, the combination of the strategy, it involves the person and the and the environment in which they operate, and you've got to have both of those things right. in order to impact performance. Yeah, so we right. usually we break down all of those pieces, and if you don't do that, you know, I, I mean, I suppose a very real example for me too is when I went back to work after having three kids and I stepped out of a full-time role into a part-time role, I started to not know as much about what was going on in the business. Now, that was also because I was no longer on the executive team and I started to question whether or not it was because I was part-time or maybe it's because I'm no longer in this role and, you know, I started to believe that it was all because of me and everything that I was doing. But Mm. when I stood back, I was actually like, actually, no, that's not right. Actually, Mm. this is poor communication in the company. It's an environment, it's part of the culture and it's something that needs to be addressed. Now, when I stood back and noticed that, then I went, right, well, that's something I can do something about. But while it was over here with my concern, there was just no power in it for me. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going to them and saying, look, I, you know, communication is not one of those things that's very good in here and I think we need to do something about it. And all of a sudden, like, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's really bad right here and blah, 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 and, you know. <laughs> so if you don't address that, that's the first thing, in, in fact, you want to be able to address, you know, because if that doesn't happen, then it doesn't really matter what you do. It's like if you're mm-hmm. playing in it, if you've got to play team sport, right, just because your yeah. individual performance is great, if you're a great athlete and you're in a team and the rest of the team aren't up to the game, you, you can't go and win a game. I wonder if that makes you a bit choosy about the people that you work with in terms of (laughs) (laughs) yes yes I am so I only work with people who have a commitment to actually producing results and doing what there is to do 
Um, and it. often, you know, the, there's three values that often I find with people in that journey, and that's uh, compassion, uh, courage, and confidence. And mm. it does, to impact your performance, it actually really does, like at the heart of it, it takes courage because Absolutely. inevitably, you know, we get stuck or we get stopped um, in having what we want. And there's all these reasons why we don't have what we want. You know, it can come down to, you know, maybe it's the people that we work with. Maybe it's the company I work in. Or maybe I, you know, I look at myself and I go, I just don't have what it takes. Now, once you deal with that first part called, well, there's every, you have everything you need, right? There's actually nothing wrong with you. You can have anything you want. What you then have got to deal with is all the external reasons why you don't have what you want. You know, the judgment about the people you work with or the, the reasons why, you know, you can't, you can't go out and get this great job because you've got all these kids, you've got kids and you can't do that, you know. It's how do, I, how do I have the courage to look at my circumstances around me and say, actually, that's just, it's the, no, no different to me not having what I want. And so it takes courage to be able to look at all those things that we're using to, uh, as, as evidence for why we don't have we want, what we want mm-hmm. because then we yeah. have to take action to do that. And that can be very challenging for people. Mm. Yeah, you're really speaking my language. Um, and, and it makes me wonder about when you mentioned that, you know, once you spoke up about internal communication, people were coming into their power to say, yes, that I experienced that too. But I wonder if there's a sort of, it's kind of a default or, or it's kind of expected. That's just the way it is or a bit of a resignation around it Mm, very much so it is very much so until somebody has a voice about something how it occurs for people in fact if you talk about context right mostly the context is this is as good as it gets Mm, and that mm -hmm. that's not just in business either that can be anywhere you know if you're in a relationship you know you've got no you have an opinion or a view about something is and then you don't say anything how it occurs is this is as good as it gets but yeah. this is as good as it gets is a context that comes from our fear or, uh, of being able to communicate what we're experiencing. But mm. the moment someone has the courage to say what there is to be said without any fear and, you know, it's, that's the hard part, right, because in most companies, certainly in all the ones I've worked and I've led, you know, I've had teams of people that I've been responsible for and it's the same thing. The biggest fear is that, that if they say something about what they really think, that they'll lose their job. And so mm. their fear of rejection, their fear of not having the job and all of that stuff becomes more important than actually having a voice. But it's like a domino. As soon as somebody has the courage to say that or speak up, all of a sudden it gives everybody else the space to be able to come and, you know, follow so to speak like yes I feel like that too oh you're not alone and and it brings to mind even actually literally just a few minutes before our uh, our call today I was um looking at the video of the time person of the year the people who spoke out the you know ultimately the me too campaign Mm. and you know what you're saying really rings true with that is that you know we had a few people who stood up and had the courage to say something and it just went it literally went viral it just completely took over the internet for a few days which was completely amazing Uh, it's people just want to know they're safe you know people just want to know that it's safe and the more of us that speak out the more safe it gets that's exactly right that's exactly right safety in numbers (laughs) so with that in mind can you tell me about team women australia what's that about yeah so that was um a bit of an organic uh, development. Um, when I w- did go back to work after having three kids, um, I just reached a point where I thought I just can't do this anymore. You know, I can't. I can't continue to be in a senior role. You know, with the high expectations of being, you know, the, the hours full time and having three kids under three. You know, it was 
quite insane really when I think about it <laughs> but when I went back um, so I went back and I you know readjusted my hours and but readjusting my hours meant that I was no longer in the leadership role that I had and I started to then lose all of the stuff that I really loved you know I the, the leading the team the being accountable for the business developing the strategy all that stuff and so within a couple of months after doing that I became very very uh frustrated I was unfulfilled started to get quite bitter, um, got resentful towards my kids, you know, resentful that I'd had kids and how do I not, you know, I didn't really want to make this change. Um, And it was during that time that I decided to do the work myself, you know, as a a strategist, I went, you know, you know, in a business, if you want to impact your performance to get what you want, I know what to do. So I went, right, Mm -hmm. well, I'm just going to do the same thing with my life. (laughs) I know what to do there. So I'll just do the same thing here. And I started to look at all the things in my own life about, you know, stuff that wasn't working, reassess my values and strengths and, you know, that that whole journey basically and mm-hmm. I won't go to the detail right. of that journey right because that could take us take us some time but what yeah. what happened during that process is I started to also you know I'm a communications expert and I facilitate you know communication programs for women so for me um, and I'd done it for non-gender specific and I've done it for 20 years and what I noticed for me was that the moment I communicated with women around me about what I was going through it was the same thing we were talking about before. You know, as soon as I say something, everyone else goes, oh, my God, these women were coming in. Oh, my God, I feel the same. You know, I feel like I've been sidelined and, you know, I really miss that part of my job. And, and I thought, well, why don't we get together and create our own, you know, private group where we can go through this journey that I'm going through to create because they didn't have the tools, right? They didn't have all the experience that I had in being able to do this kind of work. So I said, look, right. I'm happy to facilitate this because it works for me too you know like I've got to look at what's next for me and what do I want to do with my life because I'm not happy so why don't why don't we all get together we'll have once a month hookups I just read the Cheryl Sandberg lean in at the time oh yeah and uh, I got to the end of that and you know one of the things I loved about her book I mean I I was on the opposite side in in many respects I was like that no I don't want to lean in I actually want to lean back of the corner (laughs) right so on that side of things I was oh but what I at the heart of her message was ultimately about women being responsible for themselves and their life and Mm -hmm. I went yeah that's just brilliant and she had a, um, at the end of the book, it said, you know, if you liked the movement, you know, we've got this portal with all these resources, blah, blah, blah. And I went, great, you know, I'll go in and look at that. And so basically I had used the back end of that portal, created a group, um, invited all the women who um, were talking to me about wanting to do it. At the time we had about six of us. And within about, uh, I think it was about eight weeks of having gotten started, by virtue of continually sharing with people and those people sharing with people, we had 55 women um, what participating in that process um, wow. and we would come together each month and we would work on what it is that they want next and mostly what made the biggest difference was them communicating actually they had the very smart women mature senior executive leaders they've got a lot of experience they didn't need more information or knowledge about what they you know needed to do or anything like that what actually made the difference was having a space in which they could communicate safely <laughs> And that's what team, our team in Australia was born. Um, you know, literally out of that, we, we started to create events where women could come and share stories. Um, and I noticed the storytelling aspect within that environment was actually what was making the biggest difference. So we had about five, I think the first event, we had five women um, who I had spoken with who had remarkable stories. Uh, and I, you know, I was like, we've got to share this with more women. So we, we ran an event and we had 120 at that one and we all sat down afterwards and six of us in the group went, oh, well, let's do that again. That was really great. <laughs> so then mm, we did another fantastic. one and then that one doubled and, 
you know, we had people participating out of companies like Qantas and they, they then wanted to be part of it and so then we had speakers from Qantas. And honestly, that's actually how it happened. It just started to go like that and it's grown organically ever since. So tell me a little bit about where this sort of storytelling element comes mm. from for you. Yeah. Well, it's ironic, right, because I'm uh, Aboriginal, Indigenous Australian. And mm-hmm. uh, so my grandmother was uh, part of the stolen generation here in Australia. So literally at three years old, she mm-hmm. was taken away from her um, her biological parents. And because, you know, mm-hmm. one of she had was half caste so you know she had she wasn't full black and anyone that was not full black was taken away from their parents so she was mm. taken away from her mother at three and you know the, the long story short pretty much was you know she kind of escaped went and you know was pretty much a slave for the first you know 14 years of her life mm. escaped out of that and made her way down to I think it was the Gold Coast actually in, in Queensland and you know Married, had my mother, um, so I'm. I think what I am is an eight. I think that's what they actually qualify. So uh, I have, I have it in my blood, and mm-hmm. I, and I. But I, it wasn't until I started Team Women Australia where I was facilitating these. You know, in many respects, you could use the analogy, right? Because we were sitting around having conversations, sharing one story, and if you were to apply that to the whole Aboriginal culture. You know, the, the mm-hmm. culture of the Aboriginals is pretty much to be sur- sitting like dream time and campfires where you sit around mm-hmm. and people sharing stories. That's how their yeah. culture has survived. And yeah. it wasn't until then, until someone said to me, oh, this is like your Aboriginal stuff. And then I was like, oh, it is too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She said, oh, you should start to talk more about that. And I thought, you know, you're absolutely right. And so I started yeah. to do more and more research about it, and, you know, being a researcher. And the thing that I noticed mostly for me that was really at, at the heart of it, there was a couple of things. Firstly, it was just the connection to other human beings. Right from mm. when I was, you know, I think come out of my mother's womb, I'm pretty sure, you know, my entire life has been shaped by my connections with others, you know, friendships and that. Mm. But the other the other really um, interesting part that makes storytelling so powerful is it's not in the actual sharing of the story, although that is very important. It's actually in the way that we listen. And oh, yes. what makes Aboriginal storytelling so powerful is when you imagine people sitting around a campfire they're listening to nothing but the story of what the person's mm. sharing. They're not sitting there mm-hmm. with any judgment. They're not sitting there with a, oh, what if I could do that? And da 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 da. It's there's nothing in their listening that interrupts their opportunity to connect with the person who's sharing their story. Mm. So that for me is actually the the part that I thriving when it comes to the storytelling like if I coach people on owning and discovering their story and sharing their story I'm not focused on the how do you deliver that and what are the words that you're going to say I don't deal with that in fact I work with other people to deal with that what I deal with is what is in the listening like what is in the background that is there what are all the concerns what are all the judgments what are all the assessments and if you can get somebody back to nothing like literally mm. nothing in their listening, they have a very powerful place to communicate. And what I can hear in what you're saying is that you've applied a fair bit of the skills that you have, I guess, your career and your working life to your personal life as well. But it sounds like there's a bit of a, that, that's, that it's not exclusively that, it kind of goes both ways. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I mean, how I relate to life ultimately is life is life and there's no... Th- 
personal versus professional. There is who I am and there is what I want. And I just now, you know, ever since doing that, I really just look at it as if to say, well, what are all the things? And there's a really great tool actually around life, Will, you know, that kind of looks at what are all the different critical areas of one's life. And so for me, it's always just about assessing what do I really want in that area and then Mm -hmm. applying those principles that I did learn through my through my career, you know, in terms of strategy and assessment mm-hmm. and context and mm-hmm. all that, how do I, what do yeah. I need to apply to that area in order to produce the result that I want? Um, so I'm going to move into my leadership question. So can you tell me what leadership means to you now that's different than before, than earlier in your life? <laughs> I might embarrass myself here. Um, so uh, in my early part of my career, when I was very, very, very driven uh, to be successful, uh, I, it was ultimately about getting the next step up. You know, it was about what can I do to get the next promotion and get more, mm-hmm. get more money, you know, hungry, hungry, hungry adolescent for success. And what success meant yeah. to me back then was, was going to be about getting the next title and getting the next paycheck. Now, I was very badly paid in my first year of my job, so that didn't help. But um, even as I progressed through my career, I think up until I was about, uh, I think I might have been at News Corp at the time, about, about 27, it really was in that point still a about uh, me as an individual, you know, how am I doing and what, how much am I earning and is that a demonstration of my success and hmm. what, what title do I have and if I've got a great title and I'm progressing and I'm, expect, you know, like that and my performance is great, then that's great leadership. <laughs> So, <laughs> I think that you're not alone in, in that as far as it being an initial, so, you know, that's what leadership's about. But, you know, very different so, today. So what is it for you now? Leadership, you know, leadership ultimately is about having other people around you succeed and, um, you know, being able to be a I, – I like the word role model of anything else uh, mm-hmm. so that, you know, the leadership to really work, I, I really believe there's two you – know, well, look, just simply put, to me, it occurs like there's two key areas. There's that which you do to operate in how you are as a human being. You know, are you honourable? Are you operating from integrity and – being a demonstration of what you want to do to inspire others. And then the second part of it is what are you doing to step back so that you can let all of those around you have the same results, you know, Mm. step back in a way that allows them to be the ones taking the action and them being the ones that lead and do the things that they, you know, to produce it. So they experience leadership. Now, if they experience leadership, Mm. then that leaves me with, okay, I've done my job as a leader. So in your own journey in terms of, you know, from where you were to where you are now, is there a particular resource like a book or maybe even a course that you've taken that you find yourself most often referring to others? Uh, <laughs> well, um, I read a lot of books, so that, that mm-hmm. always changes. Um, in fact, the one that I read yeah. most recently was called um, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. And I tell you, when I read a book that just really resonates with me on so many levels, I just go, you know, to town and sharing it with people. And I remember going onto social media about that one and going, you've got to get this book. <laughs> you've just so got to get this book. So what about it really stood out for you? Um, the distinction between caring and not caring. So I... Um, mm. I've been somebody who, you know, I think it's a paradox to care, okay? You know, people talk about, oh, we yeah. shouldn't care as much about what other people think. Well, quite frankly, I don't agree because actually what has us be an honourable, great human being is the fact that we do care about what other people think. However, yeah. there is a fine line between taking actions only because of what other people think 
versus mm. taking the actions that you want to take without having the concern for how what other people are going to say. So mm-hmm. for me, that actually summarises what the subtle art of not giving a fuck is about. It's like ha- what, you've only got what this is just how they describe it. Right? So I'm just the language in the book is actually just like that, right? But it says ha- you've only got so many fucks that you can give in life. <laughs> there is only yeah. so much that you really can care about, right? You've only got so much capacity. You've only got so much to give. So rather than be caring about all of this other stuff that really doesn't matter, what is it that you can give your attention to and just have your attention be on that? Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, gives you the obviously ultimately about the experience of just living a real, you know, thriving in life. Yeah, it's interesting because I think there is a definitely a difference between caring mm. and uh, being genuinely, you know, having that that care be of service and being uh, healthy mm. and, and coming from a thriving place. But mm. there's also, like you say, that sort of fine line. And I haven't read the book, but I'm, I'm mm. definitely keen. I love the title. Mm. Um, I, I also recognize that there's that unhealthy caring where we're, we're sort of, it's more about anxiety and, and mm. concern about, mm. um, you know, looking good and, and that sort of thing and, and wanting to make sure that we are upholding a particular image. And, and that's where uh, I think the caring sort of goes into a direction that's less than, less than healthy. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, if anything, that's ultimately what gave me, I think, the experience of being able to live my life you know for the women that I run a lot of programs with call it unleashed you know the experience of living an unleashed life because I had to confront for myself that pretty much I'd spent most of my life being far too concerned about others and what I'd done is I stopped I I had compromised far too much on what was actually Mm -hmm. really important to me and look in some respects it's happened to me again as a mother you know I've spent so much of my time over the last 10 years you know, making sure my attention has been on others and supporting and empowering, you know, working with others, including Team Women Australia. You know, like I spend a lot of time doing other people's stories and working to empower others. But mm-hmm. if I'm not responsible for standing back and going, am I getting what I need? Yeah. I, I honestly, I go to my health goes down. It, mentally, I go down. It, it's not a good place. Mm. Yeah, I hear you. I, I think I heard you use the word thrive earlier, and, mm. and so I'm curious about what you think it's going to take for humanity to thrive into the future. So like in terms mm. of you know, what are the things that we need to pay attention to that will, instead of having this sort of default future that's happening to us, that we can create a future that we actually want to live into? Mm. I, you know what? I think if I could nail it down to one thing, because there's a lot of stuff, <laughs> uh, but I do believe you, when you actually did ask me before about what courses and books and stuff and that you know I find myself referring a lot to so I was a mm-hmm. communication course leader um I a years back with a, an organization called Landmark Worldwide yep and you know so I, I think I, I picked up on that because of the the language that you use that that I'm very familiar with from doing those courses as well yeah right <laughs> a few years ago but yes oh are you there now I can hear you again. Yeah. Okay. So I was a communication course leader and, you know, during my time of facilitating programs there, that's, you know, when I, so I've led programs to thousands of people. And mm-hmm. there's one thing that I remember from that that made the biggest difference is if you were to look at the quality of, the, of your relationships with the people in your life, that's a pretty good indication of whether you're thriving or not. Now, there was also a TED talk done by a guy in Waldinger. I think it was Robert Waldinger. He did a 75-year study out of Harvard. Unfortunately, it was predominantly it was all men from what I can remember, but they were looking at doing extending it. But of everything that they did and they started to look back at what people regret the most and all that kind of stuff, and the only thing 
that actually comes down to in terms of people's happiness in one's life is the quality of their relationships. Mm. So if we mm. were to sit there, you know, and I've sat there facilitating with people, we just write down you write down every single person in your life that shows up and either put them into a column of how much love is present and how much love is not present, mm. that will tell you right there whether you experience thriving or not. Mm. Excellent. I love it. Um, so I'm also curious about what you would say to someone who is thinking about perhaps starting a business or writing a book or starting some kind of creative project or change initiative, but they recognize that they have those internal barriers as well as the external barriers. Mm. What advice would you have for them? Um, firstly, I would be clear about what it, you know, they call it the why, right? There's a lot of talk these days ever since Simon Sinek did his talk about the why. Yeah. One of the biggest drivers of being able to manage through adversity or any kind of change is, is your source of passion. And when your source of passion is something that's much bigger than yourself, being the benefit's not just going to be to you personally, but the benefit is external to you. Mm-hmm. That is the one. That is the one thing that has been identified to actually help people navigate any experience of uncertainty or um, yeah, right. adversity. So, it, it, especially in the research around midlife crisis, right? So, as a midlife crisis for people, they go through all these big, challenging, worldly periods. But the people who stand out, who are thriving in those environments, and by thriving, I mean they're not disempowered. They are in action. There's this fulfillment and satisfaction. They are clear. They're actually at work on something much bigger than themselves. Mm. I mean, you know, I look at women like Tracy Spicer, right? She's a massive amount of adversity through her career and her life. And I interviewed her um, a couple of months ago and it was exactly the same. Her attention is on the enablement of women in the media industry to have a voice. Mm. It's not on her. She's not personal benefit to her in that. Now, in the process, she does a lot of work, right? But it's that passion that exists. So I, w- I highly recommend anyone who's going through some kind of journey like that and wants to make a change or start any starting out or something like what, what's, what's my what's next yep. is to go through those things and do that piece of work. Now, that, that can be a very simple process. It's People often don't really know, well, how do I start to get that? How do I do that? Um, there are some simple things, you know, like just going through and doing your own, you know, what, are you, what do you value and what are my strengths and being clear about who you are and what you want, and what you're committed to. Mm. And when you do that work, it's a bit like you and I were saying before at the beginning, you know, we talked about context. If you get your context right, Mm -hmm. you can navigate it. You can, you actually can find it easier to navigate anything else that's going to show up. I'm not saying that that's going to be easy because along the way, you are going to have to deal with, uh, you know, financial situation, you are going to have to deal with health, you are going to have to deal with relationships, you are going to have to deal with making money, you, are, you know, like all of that stuff. But that becomes a whole other can of worms in terms of well, what do I need to deal with that? Well, that really depends on what the actual problem is at the time. <laughs> but yeah. I think to start with, absolutely get clear about your context. Hmm. What are you doing this for? And is it much, is the pull much bigger than your own personal benefit. And and what I'm um, interpreting from what you're saying is that it's not the context in terms of the, the environment or the circumstances. It's the, the context in which you see, like it's, it's kind of like the lens in which we see the world through and be able to sort of reframe the, the circumstances for what might be possible rather than what's wrong. Is that kind of? That's spot on. Yeah. Gotcha. Spot on. Gotcha. Yeah. All about perspective, the yeah. view, the worldview. And, you know, if your view, in fact, that, that that is an empowering thing to look at for anything in life. You know, like if you have an experience of being disempowered in something, all we actually need to do is step back and go, well, how is this occurring to me right now? Hmm. Is this occurring like a threat? Does this situation occur like it's dangerous? Does it occur like it's uncomfortable? And if you can start to look at what the occurring is, 
then you can step back and go, okay, well, I could alter the occurring right now. Mm -hmm. And if I did that, then I'm free to take an action. Mm. Yeah, and and that's sort, certainly been an ex, an experience that I've had in terms of being able to recontextualize and and look at at my context in a, in a very different way. It's made a dramatic difference to my life. That's for sure. Mm, mm. You and many others, honestly. I think I think if I, you know, a lot of the people that I've spoken to in their experience of being affected, but it, it can come down to something as simple as that. Mm, absolutely. Mm. So before we finish up, is there anything else that, that you want our listeners to think about or be aware of or ask a question? Any any final thoughts? One thing that I think I would say, and, I, and it comes back a little bit back to the storytelling stuff and the way in which we communicate, is for people to know that they're actually braver than what they, they know mm-hmm. and what they give themselves credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we limit ourselves by the conversations we have with ourselves about what we believe is possible and not possible. And if you can start to not listen to that so much. <laughs> so when, when I say you're braver than what you know, what you know has no bearing on reality. Mm. You know, what we think we know is actually not the limit of what we know. So give up what you know. Don't listen to that little voice. Anything that that, that little voice says to us is, unless it's empowering, don't listen to mm-hmm. it. You don't need to believe it. And what you can find is that actually if you take the action regardless of the concern, then you you experience the bravery Mm -hmm. that that is possible, you know, and if you keep doing that and know that any time you're going to do that, it's always going to be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't like doing things we've never done before and we're always going to worry. I mean, that is part of being human. Mm. But I think if I can, you know, for anyone just to know that, you really are braver than you know. And if you just be willing to take whatever that first step is and that first step and that first step, you'll experience yourself as being able to be much bigger than you really know yourself to be. And I think in the moment of, of uh, an act of courage, it's terrifying, but often it's more rewarding than we expect as well. Absolutely. You know, look, I, t- I spent a, um, I don't know if it was, a bit, actually this year, so my goal this year was to be curious and experiment. Mm. I'd gone through periods where I was practicing saying no to stuff, right? Because I was in a place called my lean in version was to lean back. I had to stop saying yes to everything. Ah, uh, yep. Mm-hmm. So I went through a period where I was like practicing saying no, no, I'm not going to go do that. Even though I'd say I was dealing with all the guilt that would come with that, right? Um, but then I, this year, it's actually been about being able to say yes to stuff when I've had all my concerns about not. Mm. Now, because by default, I, as you know, my, the way I've grown up, I've, be, I've become an introvert, right? So my natural tendency is to want to stay home, read movies, read books, go to the gym, and you know, yep. that's it for me. Um, so I had to, when I started this, it was very confronting for me because Team Women Australia meant I had to really put myself out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, organise events. I used to hate going to events. I would hate it. I would ring my friend. I'm like, oh, you want to go to this thing? Let's go. Let's hide it in the back and just drink a glass of wine. And uh. and I've even gone to, I went to one event, I kid you not. So I went to this Women in Media event and uh, it was 15 minutes before it was to start, right? And I rang my girlfriend. I hadn't got out of my tracksuit. I'm like in the kitchen just cooking. And I rang her and I said, I'm not going. She said, you've got to go. <laughs> she said, you have to go. I go, I'm not going. I was like, I just, I don't feel like going. I'm not going. She's like, listen, this is not Kylie speaking. You've got to go because you're the founder of Team Women Australia and you've got to go and represent that. This is mm. not about you. <laughs> oh, I was like, right, okay. So even in that moment, you know, I really had to deal with I'm saying yes mm. to something, not because of my own personal concerns here. I'm saying yes because there's something here to be discovered for mm. myself, you know. Organise an event, say yes to that. Mm. 
Uh, go and meet with that person, even though you don't know what you're going to get from it. Say yes to that. And it sounds like it's what it's it's the stuff that's bigger than yourself as well. That um, I guess getting you out of your chair. Totally. And I tell you what, there's nothing more alive and actually when you're willing to go into a space that you don't really know and you've been willing to have that courage. I, I, that's honestly, it's where all the gold has mm. come from me. You know, like I, I go into a meeting and I walk out and I go, God, I'm so glad I did that. Or I go to this event and I would have had met one individual that just literally made my entire day and I'm like, God, I'm so glad I did that. But prior to it, I tell you, I would have clung on for dear life not to do it. <laughs> but all these are all the opportunities and everything that I've created now, if I really look, everything has been created in when I took an action that I didn't necessarily want to take, but I, but I took yeah. it anyway. I hear you. Mm, great. Mm. Wonderful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today, Kylie. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. One of the huge takeaways for me in this one is the importance of context. I see it missing so much in general. I went to a community consultation recently where it was definitely missing and there were so many misplaced questions and it was a great example of wasted effort, untapped potential, all the knowledge in the room. Don't get me started. I I think context can also really limit us, especially when we're not aware of the context that we have and that it's often of our own choosing. We don't even realize that often. Sure, there's the environment and how we relate to that environment and we have control over how we relate to it and we can influence it more than we think. What stood out for me was Kylie's response to Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. She said she took the opposite approach and was leaning out, setting boundaries and saying no and dealing with the guilt around that and then focusing on saying yes. And I really believe that your yes means much more when you can say no. When I was a volunteer coordinator back in the day, I always felt better asking people to do something when they had said no to me previously. I could trust that it was more sincere, that their yes was real. Saying no isn't selfish, it's healthy. And this is a good example of where context comes in. If your context is obligation, your yes isn't genuine. If your context is being of service, what impact does that have? What about the context of self-care? Does that bring a different quality to your no? Let's talk about workplace culture and the context there. If you're somewhere that people aren't speaking out, what's missing? What difference would it make if courage was present? If you brought courage to it, to naming what you see? You don't need to start with taking a massive risk by starting out naming the elephant in the room. Maybe start with the fact that people don't talk about whatever it is that they're not talking about. The thing that comes to mind for me around this is that quote from Margaret Mead about this you know, small group of people being the only thing that really creates change in the world. And that all starts with one courageous person. It feels scary, but often the risk is worthwhile. Do you want to be a contribution to a positive change or to the status quo? To find out more about Kylie and Team Women Australia, you can find links in the show notes. This is the last episode for 2017, and we'll be back after a little break in 2018, starting in February, with a great conversation with Sue Lim from Six Ideas, a business name that was inspired by the queen in Alice in Wonderland, who insists that she does six impossible things before breakfast. We talk about the future of work now. She's running projects with remote teams distributed across the planet, and her insight for what we need to pay attention to for a thriving future is something you don't want to miss. I'll be doing a handful of series on things like women in power, corporate citizenship, well-being and leadership, and maybe even the role of poetry in business. This is what next year is going to look like for Tall Poppy. 
And some people I've got lined up for interviews are Michelle Ryan from Exeter, busting myths about women in leadership, Adam Jacobi of MyVote, disrupting democracy and reinventing collective intelligence through technology, Peter Gunn, currently on sabbatical from the Center for Workplace Leadership. So it's some really exciting stuff. And I'd like to do a shout out to a handful of people who I have really appreciated this year. Some of my regular listeners and people who have given me awesome feedback. Linda Kirkman of Relationship Skills for Life. Thank you for your feedback. I hope that you have seen that reflected uh, in the choice of people that I have interviewed since, since that feedback. So thank you. Lynette phenomenal facilitator trainer. Thank you for putting me on to some awesome podcasts that I just never would have found. Philippe Guichard, holistic industrial designer, public speaker, and co-conspirator in the future of humanity. This guy, wow, don't even have words. Um, and yeah, some new listeners like Patrick and Sam from Campos, who serve the best coffee in the world. Stay tuned for a really cool episode on that next year and my stuff about corporate citizenship. A shout out to Rita from CMY and Matt, who leads the team at Wyndham Vale Community Learning Center, and to Tracy Sheen, who is a key person of influence, mover and shaker, communications futurist, and fellow podcaster. She's all the way up in Toowoomba, which is actually where Patrick, my barista, got his new rescue dog from. Love these small world connections. Oh, and the person who makes this podcast technically possible, Luke James of IT Wellness Pro. If you are thinking about podcasting, talk to this guy. Best decision I ever made to get this podcast from idea to reality. And of course, a huge shout out to our listeners in Japan, Germany, Sweden, Croatia, India, and a big thank you also to all the guests that I've had on this year. It's been a wild ride, and I have absolutely loved all those amazing conversations that really do lead us toward a new paradigm of leadership. Thank you to all of you for being part of the Tall Poppy community, where we do things differently, where we consider the impact we have, the context we create, who we are in work, business, and life, changing the face of leadership through our actions, our conversations, who we include, and the courage that we have to speak out, speak up, and stand proud, because we're not alone. We are in this together. Again, thanks for listening. We'll catch you on the flip side. Mm-hmm.